0: two parts what I have to share. I want to finish up a few of the questions from last week and I want to celebrate an anniversary with you of my heart transplant. So, let's see what the folks tried to stuff with last week. Those of you who weren't here, I asked folks to create an idea, a question and write it on a blue piece of paper and I put, took them up and I've been re, I responded to them and we had a few left over. So I'm going to try to finish those. So don't feel left out Some of those questions maybe some of you would have written. I I got a couple of grades back from y'all on how well I did, and I'm not pleased with myself. Why is the creation or where we come from so important? Don't know. Why is creation or where we come from so important? Well, I think the scientists would say that it gives us an understanding of how or, or what we're made up of, what we're composed of. Why is creation, why is the creation, or where we come from, so important? I think it gives us a sense of place, a sense of relationship, as I was speaking from earlier. Uh, a real good question. Sometimes when I'm laying and meditating, and when my eyes close, I, I get, it, get into these revelries of, of thinking about hard questions and big questions, and they really conf- confuse me and confound me. And I'm thinking, how did it start? How did the spark and the Big Bang Theory way back there become Dope match Theory? How did it become you? How did it become my son? son one of my sons, or my, both of my sons, or my grandchildren. How does that all process happen? Not sure I know or if I'm capable of understanding it all, but I know it happened. And I know that there's a connection between it all. And every one of us are a part of that impulse, that energy, that process. Okay. What are some you use spiritual practices that we can embrace? Lots of people like yoga, Tai Chi, poetry, reading, silent meditation, long walks. I like silence a lot. Peggy complains because we don't talk enough. But it's always running. What is the spiritual practice for? To find some kind of peace, I think, and some type of centering in ourselves that we're at ease. We're we're not anxious. We're not uh, running high speed. We're we're in in a comfortable, safe, secure place that's without a lot of effort or a lot of struggle. So there are an awful lot of wonderful opportunities. What are the hot topics for UU Conference in Washington this month? It's happening this weekend. Uh, What events the, I don't get the second I'll talk about hot topics. We're still considering. Black Lives Matter. We're still considering sexual uh, um, malfeasance in ministry. Outside, we're still really concerned and involved in what's going on with immigration legislation and the imprisonment of children and families. A lot of political and timely issues that that touch us here are what's going on at, at GA. Who... I really can't get that last second. When I wandered back in my house after fetching a morning prayer, enjoy the music I have programmed, why can't we have music in buildings Sunday mornings prior to the service? Good. We can. Now, who's going to decide what kind of music? Is it the preacher's job? Is it John's job? Is it the program committee's job? We can work on that, figure out whose job it is. But y'all like to talk and visit I bet we can do both. How did socially conservative religious movements come to dominate the American public consciousness in the late 20th century? And how can progressive religious groups reclaim that legacy that it had pushing for positive social achievements uh, moving forward? Women's rights, civil rights, education, labor rights, are all helped by, yes, by a, a support of religious progressives. You want my theory, I'll give you my theory. In 1945, we demonstrated that we had created through our science and our know-how the ability to destroy the world. With the atomic and the hydrogen bombs that would come later. I feel like that knowledge somehow impacted the consciousness and the knowledge of of human beings that were in touch, whatever that means. So all that was sacred, all that was secure, all that was knowledgeable at that moment just became became worthless. We were out here with a toy in the universe that we had control over, that no God, no savior was going to interfere with. And what do we do that? If you if you assume that there is a natural human consciousness that impacts the whole of creation, I, I assume that. I, I think there's a commonality, there's a connection, there's a relatedness that goes through life. We can't understand it all, but it has influence how we behave, how the organism works, how the DNA directs itself someone taught me years and years ago life struggles for life and if we apply that opinion in what we did in 45 with the, with the atomic bomb and the power to destroy all life all of these great religious truths and and, and securities were sort of became irrelevant 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 the conservative social movement directed by so conservative Christians and conservative religions, not necessarily Christian, Islam, even Buddhism, around Hinduism, around the world, is a natural reaction to that disease. Man, we got to do something. We got to tighten down. We got we got to pass all these rules. We we got to behave. We got to go back to the old safe and secure things. But pre-1945, that stuff is not going to hold for the future. But that doesn't mean we don't create the conservative movement. Create the reactionary stuff, create the attempts to control the human situation in a way that our behavior is monitored like it was in the good old days. Make America great again. For who? You of color? You woman? You poor? You Jewish? Make America great again. That's ridiculous. So my answer to this question is that once upon a time, after World War II, there was a period there. Where's the idealism of the, of, of the United Nations, of a world that can get along? Now we're pitched, pitched camps. Where in American policy for the last 40 years has there been an effort to create world peace? Where are the initiatives coming from our government that comes to the comes to the electorate? and say, I'm the peace candidate. We're going to do Life is scary right now. And it's a scary time on this planet. And it's a scary time for people trying to find certain answers that can, they can control their anxiety. Because we know in our hearts of hearts, I think, that it's all up to us. And I'm not sure we trust ourselves. I'm not sure we trust ourselves. People who have been to Hiroshima, and uh, Nagasaki say to me it's a a life changing experience just to see what happens and then to go to the concentration camp in what was uh, uh, fascist Nazi Germany is another story we human beings need something bigger than better than a God that's going to rescue us we need the common understanding of humanity that we're brothers and sisters given the custody of this gold given the custody of this life to be about tender loving care of it. And it's hard, it wears us out. We're so tired right now. The whole culture of progressive and, co- and, and liberal conscious people who care about life, care about our kids' opportunities, care about the future, are just worn down to a classic. It really is fatigue of, co- of the soul and the spirit. And that's why we need one another, and that's why we come together to be reassured. Not so much as it's gonna be all right, but we're in it together. And if we're in it together, we might have the insight and the courage and the, and the vision to find ways to solve. That's the best I can do with an answer. And I'm not sure who's got the power to grade me, so I'm not going to worry about it. <laughs> don't don't get, let it go to my head. Why did you change from Methodist to UU? Did, did you bring anything from your former spirituality to your ministry? Second part of the question, of course I did. It's all personal. It's all personal. And I, I, I've i been thinking to myself in the last uh, few months, especially because I've not been at a good place emotionally and s- psychologically, I've just been really depressed. And it's really a struggle because I remember when I was feisty. And I'm not feisty right now. And I'm, I'm becoming aware of something that in 1976, when I responded to some kind of call, some kind of nudging, some kind of understanding in my own heart about becoming a minister, I wanted to be with people, to look at the big questions, to be supportive of one another, and to make the world better. I'm still able to do that, and I still want to do that. But it has become harder. It's become harder for all of us who've gotten older over these last 40, 50 years to see where life has journeyed. See, because one time all of us were idealists and all of us are hoping and all of us believe the stories and we're finding now that I'm afraid cynicism is a very easy place to slip into. Skeptical is okay. Cynicism says you've given up. So I'm not going to be cynical. I'm going to be skeptical. Okay, that's enough of that. A heart transplants meditation. I think it went something like this. The family was in the waiting room. The five brothers and sisters were there. And mom and dad were there. The surgeon had already left, leaving the bad news that their daughter had not made it through surgery. They'd gone for a thyroid, a gorder, and she just did not wake up. Surgeons as they are in that situation, I've learned from being a hospital chaplain, get out fast as they can. Because they're the they're the crusaders against death. And when death wins, it's tough on them. So there's the family there crying and dealing with it all. And the surgeon says, I have someone I want you to talk to. It's a good escape exit for the surgeon. I'm not blaming the surgeon, for all the Mercy. Anyone have the conscience and the heart to go into something as important as that is as dealing with a life with a, with a blade. I have someone I want you to talk to. And into that room comes an agent of the hospital. It could be a, religion, it could be a nurse. It could be uh, someone in, with medical training. And they're the organ donation person. And what they're there for is to ask that family to donate the body of their child to those who are waiting for organs down the line. She has old negative blood. She's 32. Her health has been shaky for a lot of her life. Obesity with her thyroid malfunction. Uh, but they listen and they consult and they make a decision. And this was about June 15th, June 18th, something like that. No, it was about June 20th of 2010 in in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Downriver at Oshner Hospital Medical Unit, Peggy and I were hospitalized. I was waiting for a heart transplant. What had happened uh, in the 1990s, I had a heart attack. It wasn't too, too bad. I got a splint, uh, stent, and uh, did the rehab and went back to my life. But in about six more years in 2001, six months after Peggy and I got married, I had a massive heart attack. And the diagnosis from the little county seat doctor there was that I had five years or heart transplant. This was in 2001. I progressively got sicker uh, than them, them trying to deal with what, what you do with someone with a dying heart. Had a couple more heart, heart attacks. They sort of became regular, in the emergency room became, I knew them by first name basis, uh, there in my hometown. I had a pacemaker defibrillator installed in 2005. Pretty remarkable. Peggy and I were able to go through Katrina with it. I was doing 18 hours a day, someday, some, some days, working uh, in response to Katrina hurricane in our county. We, had, we dealt with 2,000 volunteers and uh, 2,000 evacuees and about 900 volunteers uh, daily for six weeks during Katrina, lived, lived at in the, in the uh, Red Cross office. Peggy was directing all the business and I was her go-to go, go fellow, <laughs> or go But finally in 2009 in the spring, the defibrillator pacemaker started hitting me. One day, in, uh, within about five hours, I had 14 shocks. And it, was a, it was a multiple unit. It, it would keep my, my pacer, my old heart going with a good pace as it needed it. And then if it got crazy, it would shock it. Now, to understand my problem with electricity, not plumbing, an electrical, uh, electrical malfunction, and those things will mess you up. I did a 11-hour ab- ablation. Those of you know what ablations are, it's when you go in. Through some type of location, through yourself, and get in the organ and try to—they bl- try to blast it through my dead, a third of my dead heart uh, in Jackson, Mississippi, and uh, that was as hard to think, nearly as hard as recovering from the heart transplant, recovering from that. But we went to after Jackson Hospital, the University of Mississippi uh, Transplant Unit said to me, "You're too sick." There are too many people in this busy that are sicker, and there are too few hearts coming through our center. You need to go somewhere else. So we went to New Orleans, to Oshner, and I was there about the 18th of July, getting, a uh, uh, June, getting uh, qualified for to get on the list for a heart transplant. Well, thank something, I'll say thank God if I can. No, I won't do that. Blessed be, while I was there, I went bad, My Blood pressure went down, and I was totally uh, uh, dying. They boosted my heart back up for a while. They went through the politics of heart transplant, made an application, got a 15-day window for me to get the first O-negative heart that roughly would fit my needs. And uh, on the fifth day, they called me late at night and said, we've got a heart for you. We're going to come to you in the morning and get it done, take care of it. And that was the 21st of June, 2002. And they did. And I got a gift from that family in Baton Rouge, their daughter's heart, and had it deposited, had my old heart taken out. It's got a nice lid here and had her heart put in mine. And something happened that it kept working did about six months of pretty rough recovery. The uh, third day out after the transplant, they went through my neck, through the main vein there, going out down into the, heart, into, the heart, into the chest to the heart cavity. and uh, they took some snips out of the heart cavity to draw out the test to see how, the, uh, how how the system was working, what, what kind of anti-rejection medicine I need, what the chemistry was like. When the surgeon drew that out, he nicked the wall of my heart, uh, wall of my heart, my chest, not my heart. Same difference in a way. So within a few hours, they put me in a coma, and I was in a coma for eight days. And I remember waking up, and they, it, it, in a coma situation, they put you on a bed that's got rollers to keep you from, you know, keep you awake, I guess, or keep you, you know, keep you assisted. I remember laying on my back on that, bed, and the first sense of consciousness was that roller coming up. Oh, God, that hurts. The description I gave of waking up fully to consciousness was I'd been beaten with a bag of baseball. Nothing didn't hurt. I think my eyeballs hurt. So we were there for another, uh, we were there for a total of uh, uh, 11 weeks recovering, which should have taken a week. And I, I went in at 210, I came out at 162. Had to learn to walk again, had to learn to talk again. <laughs> they were worried about uh, some brain damage, but I fooled them. <laughs> I passed the test. They didn't figure me out completely. And within a year's time, I was wanting to get back to work. And been at it there. Now, I label this as a meditation. It's just sort of me sharing my story. Now, Peggy there was there every minute of all that time. She didn't have the luxury of being unconscious or being asleep or taking some pretty good medicine. She had to tough it out, just worrying about me. And uh, she was in the midst of her work, and her Blackberry t- kept her in touch with uh, Laurel, Mississippi, up the road from New Orleans. Now, the question is, what did I learn from that? And that impacted you, though. Don't you have different feelings about things? Well, Lucretia Mims, my was a praise singer, and I understand she was awfully good. Well, as of well you've heard me, I cannot sing. So there's no transfer of talents. But there is a transfer of life. And that family practiced their Christianity, and that family practiced their humanity without, excuse, without the cover of Christianity. They just saw in their daughter at 32 an opportunity to extend and increase her life and bless and tribute, tribute her. And I really appreciate that. Was there any rhyme and reason in that? It, it, was there any manipulation of cre- creation or, or, or giving dope a miracle? Of course not. I was very fortunate. The miracle came through the human condition, which has a science, and has gone through the process of developing an ethic and a value system that says that life's important and this life that's dying and dead now can transfer life to them. What a beautiful thing that is! That's about relationships again. That's about us caring enough. And I'm just my transplant story is just a dramatic expression of that. That's the mega thing of it. I'm not sure there's a there's a there's a, there's a bigger example of it. But I want to talk about that little stuff day in and day out of letting go of the judgment and trying to find the forgiveness. Letting go of the criticism. Well, they should have done it this way. And go, I wonder how hard that was for them to do. See, we're called to be humane people first. know, It doesn't matter about the ideology or the way we describe God or argue about God. It's about how we regard one another and this precious life we share. The life we share. And it's a real struggle because we're in it as an individual. We're in it in this little spaceship in our body. We've got this magic of energy and muscles and electricity that make us who we are. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? But we're trying to feel at peace and calm and okay with all that is, with the creative process that we're a part of. So maybe, maybe the way we do that is that we forget we're ourselves and know that we are we with everybody else and we have an opportunity to express that in the smaller ways, From the handshake to the hug to the encouragement, and anything that keeps us separate and special, anything that divides us in hate, meanness, hurt, is repulsive and against the nature of life, and it's evil. We're called to the good of blessing of life and sharing it with a and that is a holy, holy thing. It's all holy. All of them. Y'all look at that all the whole time. That's awful.